are listening to Nightlight. Great to be with you for another Nightlight. And on the program today, we have with us a storyteller, an actor, a writer of inspirational and motivational stories. His name is Curtis Peter Van Gorder, founder and director of the Elixir Mime Company. We're going to be finding out more about his life and ministry and also about the power of a story. But first, let's start with a song from someone who I think is very gifted in telling a story in the lyrics of his songs. This is Philip Johnson and his true story of a band without a bar. As you know, uh, songwriters write songs from, you know, experiences often, things they go through. And, and one time our band went through a funny experience. So I made this song and I'm not going to explain the experience because it's all in the lyrics of the song. So if you just listen to the song, then you'll know the little story that happened to us one night in Tokyo. The song is called Band Without a Bar. Woke up late, feeling fine. Got a show tonight at nine. Brush my teeth and make the bed. Planning my songs in my head. Pack the drum set in the car. The place we play is not too far. When we get there, it's not fair. Bar is closed and no one's there We're the band without a bar Band without a bar If you wonder who we are We're the band without a bar So Kind of ease the shock We start to sing on the sidewalk It was very impromptu The gaijin band with no venue You take the punches as they come With folk guitar and Say a prayer instead of cry Busking free from passers-by We're the band without a bar Bars. Gonna 
Olympic gods, superstars Rocking out for massive crowds Sold out concerts in the clouds We're the band without a bar Band without a bar If you wonder who we are We're the band without a bar Johnson live in concert his story of a band without a bar 
We have a guest tonight on Nightlight. Our special guest on Nightlight today is Curtis Peter Van Gorder. Peter's an old friend of mine. We knew each other in Japan, where I lived for 12 years. Also here in Uganda, at least for the first few years I was here. I remember I acted in Peter's theatre production at the National Theatre. Oh, that must have been about 12 or 13 years ago. Peter's a multi-talented guy. He's a gifted teacher. He acts. He directs. He's a mime artist. He's an inspired motivational story writer. And many of the inspirations that I share with you on Nightlight have been penned by Peter. And Peter's speaking to us from Germany over Skype. Nice to have you with us, Peter. Uh, tell us about yourself. Okay, my name is uh, Peter. And uh, I'm a bit of a world traveler because... I left America when I was 19, and I've bumped into you quite a few places there, Simon. <laughs> yes, as that's you right. mentioned. Actually, our first theater production was the Christmas Carol in Japan, oh, as you might remember. Right. No, I forgot you, about uh, that. I had the whole school acting in it. That was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, now I remember. Yeah. We had to take turns being the audience because you. Uh, <laughs> you, you uh, and you had the whole Scrooge part memorized. You were Scrooge, probably. Right. Remember. Okay, so um, I'm a pantomime artist, a writer, and uh -huh. facilitator for pantomime workshops in various uh, countries and various social settings, uh, social organizations. Okay. Uh, we recently did a workshop with uh, blind people and uh, handicapped, uh, you know, paraplegics and so on. So all kinds of people. Wow. Um, because uh, we believe that stories are really powerful, and acting out stories right. uh, makes them even more alive. So right. that's what we're all about, storytelling and sharing both your personal stories, stories from the Bible, Jesus' stories. As you uh -huh. know, Jesus told lots of stories. Right. Uh, one third of all the recorded words of Jesus were stories, parables. Wow. So that's a little bit about me now. I also teach English. I find it um, fascinating going to other countries and learning new things, new experiences, meeting new people. Uh -huh. And that helps, I think, in writing too, because you get new perspectives on life. Peter, I know that you are a Christian, of course, and you regard your work as your ministry, as a ministry. But you've ministered, so to speak, in difficult countries, such as countries in the Middle East, in parts of India. How do you go about incorporating your ministry, so to speak, into your stories? Okay, good. That's a good question. Um, well, I often have, in, with my participants, I ask them to bring an object that's very close to them. I'll give you an example. One man brought a stick, and he said, this stick is from my grandfather, and uh, it's very special to me. And so what we did was um, we acted out his story. This is something you might have heard of. It's called playback theater. No, I hadn't, actually. get people to tell their own stories. So we acted out. First, we showed the shepherd, his grandfather, and then the grandfather giving the stick to him, uh -huh. and then the funeral, and, and he's talking to his grandfather and telling him all the things that he's learned from him like that. Also, we've been using stories in conflict resolution, we find right. stories that are appropriate. Um, okay. could be from many different sources. And uh -huh. we try to develop those concepts. Um, for example, there's one we found was uh, a Dr. Seuss story. I don't know if you're familiar with Dr. Seuss. 
Yes, a little uh-huh. bit. <laughs> and he has one story called the Zacks. Uh-huh. There's a north-going Zack and a south-going Zack. Okay. And these are fictitious uh, characters, of course, in a fictitious place. Right. It's not about a certain country or a certain people. Anyway, these two Zacks meet each other, mm-hmm. and neither one of them wants to move. <laughs> so in his story, they just sit there, and you know the, the years go by, and no progress is made. And finally, they build a highway around them. So what we do is we involve the audience and we ask them, okay, how would you end this story? How can we resolve this conflict? And we also draw in other people. For example, um, I think on your show you had uh, Stella Sabiti. Oh, from yes, Uganda. yes, yes. And so we told her story and how she resolved her conflict. And she actually started an NGO with conflict resolution. That's right. So stories can be therapeutic. They can be resolve conflicts. See, one thing is in conflicts is that there's a tendency to dehumanize the other person or the other ethnic group or whatever. So when people tell their stories, we get to know each other uh-huh. and we make connections, and we say, "Wow, I feel like that too." And you get an understanding of other people and how they feel and what they're going through. Yes. And you realize that, well, he's a lot like me. And, right. Uh, as we know, love is, is uh, universal. Yeah, everybody needs love. So. It's nightlight. What a delight. Peter, I know because I've been involved in theatre, especially when I was a younger man, I wanted to go into theatre as a profession. I know what it takes to come up with theatre workshops and improvisations and all that creativity. It takes a lot of creativity, a lot of energy. What I do here is very simple. I just sit behind a microphone and read, and it doesn't really take a lot of effort. But God bless you, because I know the type of work that you're involved in takes a lot of interaction with others, a lot of communication, and it's a wonderful thing you're doing. Tell us more about it. Well, I'd like to talk a little bit about where ideas come from, because, uh, you know, that's very important, because, you know, stories, you have all kinds of stories. What makes a story really powerful, and how can it touch you? Because, you know, um, stories can move you, and they can um, even change your life. Stories are infectious, so to speak. Absolutely. Because you can get an idea very holistically or very completely, Mm -hmm. uh, and you understand the concepts intuitively even. You you like feel, or you feel empathy with the characters, and so on. So I I believe in... um, that if you ask the Lord for a story, you say, Jesus, like it said, ask and you will receive. Right. So if you ask the Lord, so please give me a story, please give me something, mm-hmm. the Lord won't disappoint you. He'll give you that. Wow. Um, I'd like to give an example. When I was uh, doing a project in Uganda, in Kampala, yes. uh, one of the schools asked me, can you please write a play about corruption? <laughs> and I said, oh, look, I'm sorry, I'm a foreigner. Right. Uh, I, anything I write would be judgmental, you know, so, but I said, mm-hmm. okay, this lady is very sincere, and it's really a big problem here, as it is in many countries. And so I asked the Lord, she said, please give me a story. The next day, I opened up the newspaper, and there was a book review about uh, the Congolese leader Mobutu. Right. And we saw really there, that was a really bad example of corruption, and how um, there's a country that could be one of the richest countries in the world, full of natural resources, That's right. plentiful rainfall, and everything. And uh, it's uh, still suffering from his legacy and from people like him who have this concept of, as uh, 
maybe you know the kabakas in Uganda. Yes. Uh, the priest would take him up to a high hill and say, "Eat up the land." You know. <laughs> so this is some of the, uh, the the mental attitude of some leaders is that they should eat up the land and just use it for their own benefit and not care about the people. <laughs> not Africa only. So I'm very interested in history. And uh, so when you ask the Lord for a story, he'll give you one. Nightlight's interview of the week. And with us on Nightlight, we have Curtis Peter Van Gorder speaking to us from Germany over Skype. Curtis Peter Van Gorder. That's a very fancy name, Peter. Is that a name you sort of uh, concocted like a writer's name? Or is that your actual name? That's my actual name. Uh, well, I wrote a piece about it once about how my name was chosen. My mother wanted to name me after my grandfather, and my dad wanted me to name him after himself. They couldn't decide, so they put the names on two sides of the room and dog food by both names, and then <laughs> oh, they put dear. the dog in the middle, and wherever the dog went, that's with the name. So that's how I got my name. Well, Peter, let me read that inspiration to our listeners now as a sample of your work. This is The Humble Thing by Curtis Peter Van Gorder. Have you ever been to a party where everyone fished questions out of a hat? I've been to a few, and twice the question I drew was, tell about one of the most humbling experiences you've ever had. The first time I panicked, my mind went blank. The second time, I could think of quite a few but none that I dared tell. After that last party, thinking back on that humbling experience, I decided it was time for some soul-searching. What was it about being humbled that put me under such a cloud? It wasn't just the momentary embarrassment. Recalling those experiences, even years later, was nearly as bad. Why was I so afraid of others seeing that I was imperfect, vulnerable, perhaps even dumb? Was I taking myself too seriously, out of pride? As I pondered those questions, I remembered that the Bible has a lot to say about the good effects of being humble. It says that God dwells with the humble, and he loves a humble spirit. Jesus was humble. I was also reminded of something I'd read once. God does some things to humble you, other things to keep you humble, and yet others to see if you're still humble. If that was true, I reasoned, and if all things work together for good to those who love God, as the Bible says, then even those humbling experiences must somehow be good for me. With that thought in mind, I decided to try to stop fighting God's humbling process. In fact, I would take it a step further and help him along. I would do the humble thing and tell people about my past humblings, all of them, starting at the beginning. My first humbling experience happened even before I was born, believe it or not, although I didn't hear about it until much later, of course. I was named by the family dog. That's right, a dog. It happened like this. My parents couldn't agree on what name to call me. My mum wanted to name me after her father, 
and my father wanted to name me after himself. The obvious compromise was to give me both names. But which name should come first? How did they resolve that dilemma? Simple. They let the dog decide. In one corner of the room, they put a dish of dog treats and a sign with my father's name next to it. And in the opposite corner, they put a dish of dog treats with my grandfather's name next to it. The dog fancied the treats on my mother's side, and I've been Curtis Peter ever since. There, I've told it like it was. That wasn't as hard as I thought it was going to be. My next humbling experience happened when I was about a week old. Nightlight. You're listening to an international edition of Nightlight, shining God's love light to the world. Peter, let's talk about the inspirational and motivational pieces that you write, your devotional writings, and we've used a lot of them on this program. And I know whenever I see anything written by you, by Curtis Peter Van Gorder, I know it's going to be good. But it's a great gift to develop. Do you have any tips or pointers for any of our listeners listening now who maybe have a gift of writing and would like to use their gift to bless others by writing inspirations? Okay. Um, well, first of all, I'd like to share about how I started this. I w- visited my mom shortly before she passed away, and I asked her, I said, Mom, can you tell me some stories about your life? And she told me a bit, about 45 minutes, and then she was finished. And I said, is that all you can remember? And she said, yeah, that's about all I can remember. I said, oh, I don't want that to happen to me. So I determined, I made kind of a pledge that any time something happens to me, I would try to write it down and share it and kind of meditate on it a bit because we go through life from one experience to another. And it's a funny thing. I'd like to tell anyone who's thinking about writing is that uh, I don't know if you have this, but I always have this. Whenever I start, I always think, oh, a little voice comes to me and says, this is a stupid idea and nobody's ever going to really enjoy this. It's not really very significant. And I say, get behind me because I'm going to write it, and I think it's something. I think it's, there's a seed there, something. I have to develop it, but there's something there. So you have to have faith. You have to disregard that voice and start believing that the Lord has working in your life. And these, we call small miracles, at the end, you'll see that they weren't so small after all. Peter, I noticed that uh, a lot of your inspirations, they're kind of like object lessons or parables in a way. Well, there's, uh, there's something I picked up from the Japanese uh-huh. when I was living there. And uh, perhaps you're familiar with haiku, Japanese poetry. Very condensed. It's a beautiful form of poetry. Yes. Uh, it, where they take something in nature and they meditate on, on it and they try to find a spiritual meaning. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, here's one that I wrote. It's very short, so you have to tune in. Diamonds on the grass. Yesterday's rain is today a glistening gem. <laughs> wow, that is short. So what that was, when I was um, walking in the morning, there was some grass and the, some, dew, some dew drops on it, freshly mm-hmm. from the rain the, the night before. And the sun was shining so brightly that those, di- uh, those uh, raindrops had become diamonds. Wow. Like prism in color. 
So it's like that verse that uh, sorrow may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Uh-huh. Yesterday's rain is today glistening gem. If you're going through some rain, some difficulties, there's going to be some good come from it. I feel all right when I'm listening to Nightlight. Nightlight. You're tuned in to Nightlight. Peter, let's take a break for another of your stories. And the one I'm thinking about is The Selfish Chief, which I recorded with you way back or almost 15 years ago when we first came to Uganda. And I remember we used the actors from a local dance group, very popular dance group, The Obsessions, and we set up in their living room and recorded this story. Tell us about it. I had a, uh, an assignment we were doing the STEPS program where we're taking different anecdotes and developing them. So, uh, you know, sometimes there's a brief anecdote or a brief story. And so we tried to, what I tried to do was uh, hear the voices. So when you're writing um, a piece like that, you start listening. To, it's like these characters come alive to you and you start hearing them speak. And so you, you it's like, as the writer, you're almost like an observer. And uh, I love this piece. I love this uh, skit because it really... Uh, we've performed it in different places. Uh-huh. And uh, people really enjoy it because uh, it uh, has that local feel that has <laughs> yes. that African um, yeah, feel to it. Yes. One of the schools in India asked me to do a collection of stories from different parts of the world, mm-hmm. like uh, stories from around the world. So, because each of their classes was going to do a skit or a story for their annual performance, and they chose this story for Africa. Once upon a time, there was a drought in a village in Africa. The chief was a very selfish chief who one day found water and <laughs> dug himself a well. There, at last, my well is finished. Now. I will post my sign. Monaku, bring my hammer and put it up immediately. Yes, your majesty. The servant hammered up a wooden sign over the well which read, No one shall drink from this well except for my family. If anyone else dare to drink from these waters, they shall die. Excellent! Now I will have all the water I need. Just then, an old man stumbled down the path, tapping his stick, and bumped into the chief. He held out his cup and cried, Water! Water! Please, may I have some water? Go away, old man, before I throw you into a very deep pit. Can't you read the sign? This well is only for me and my family. But forgive me, O great one, for I am blind. That is no excuse. I will forgive you this time. But do not ever come back here again begging for my water. Yes, of course. Thank you for your mercy, O great one. The next day, the chief and his servant came back once again to the well to collect a bucket of water. Monaku, throw that bucket inside the well now. Yes, your majesty. The bucket hit the bottom with a clunking noise. Hmm? The chief looked inside his new well in disappointed surprise. Uh, uh, What? There is no water in my well. 
Why not? Mm. Oh, well. Maybe the water will come in a few days. Mm. But every day he came to his well, it was always dry. <sighs> Why does the water not come, for heaven's sake? At last he called his wise man and asked him, Mogezi, if you value your life, show me the reason why my well remains empty. Oh, chief, live forever. The well will be dry until the day that you share it with your people. What? <sighs> All right. Very well, then. The people of the village may draw water from the well. Only during the night. But I shall have it all day. And so it was decreed. And the chief returned to the well the next day to see if the water had come. What? Still no water? Mm. Perhaps I will wait till nightfall and see what happens when people come to drink. But I will hide in this empty building and watch from here so no one shall see me. As soon as the sun went down, all the villagers came to the well with empty vessels to draw water. Praise be to God! Water! It is cold and fresh and plentiful. Come children, there is enough to bend Everyone drank and filled their pitchers to their heart's content. All the village children had a fun time splashing and throwing water at each other until everyone was thoroughly wet. The chief went home quite puzzled and quite thirsty, for he was ashamed to ask the villagers for water after he had been so selfish. The following day, as soon as the sun arose, the chief called to his servant. Come, Monaku, and paint what I command. Um, please? Yes, O oh great one. It shall be written even as you have commanded. Oh, yes. <laughs> that is good. That is very good. The chief looked on in pleasure as his servant painted the new sign which read, Come, whoever is thirsty, drink of these waters freely. Almost before the paint was dry, the chief could hear the pleasant sound of water gurgling and bubbling up from below. Look, look, Monaku. Soon the world will be full to the top. Yes, yes, oh great one. And look, all the villagers are coming out to drink. Everyone was surprised to see the formerly grumpy, mean and selfish chief drinking, laughing, and joking with all of the villagers. From that day on, the well continued to give an abundance of fresh, clean, sweet water even throughout the drought. It became known throughout the land as the well that never runs dry. And thus was fulfilled the scripture. For the liberal soul shall be made fat, and he that watereth shall be watered also himself. Did you know you can listen online or download your favorite nightlight shows, as well as other radio programs and audio inspirations produced at Radioactive Productions? 
visit our website today at radioact.org. And you're also invited to visit our other website at treasures365.com, where there's a variety of at least seven classic and modern daily devotionals. Praise the Lord. You're with Nightlight, and our guest on Nightlight is Curtis Peter Van Gorda, and he's sharing with us about storytelling and some of his memories from his past experiences. We have a guest tonight on Nightlight. Simon, you might remember that uh, when I was in Uganda, you invited me to a remote rural school to perform a clown show for the students there. And you needed a driver and a sidekick, so you asked for my assistance. And I said, yeah, sure, glad to help. But there's a small problem. I've never been a clown before, and uh, I don't have a costume. No worries, you said. Just wear something funny and act a bit goofy, and that should do. Well, well, that was a little bit simplistic, uh, but I gathered an odd collection of clothes, added a pair of bright red suspenders, donned an overly large colorful hat, and we were off. After driving several hours, we arrived at the school, where we were greeted as if we were ambassadors from a prestigious nation. All the student body turned out with the principal. Then, after donning our costumes, the show began, and you swung right into action, Simon, with uh, being the pro that you are with clown magic and a classic rubber chicken routine, lots of fun and gags. We even got some character building in by using object lessons from what was available, which wasn't too much. Uh, Sprinkling salt on the audience, we encouraged everyone to be like the salt, enhance your situation by making it better. The village school loved it and told us many times, It was a highlight of their year. A little fun and laughter really does go a long way. And after that, I was sold on the idea and began to develop my clowning and acting skills. Most people realize that uh, the value of a good laugh in some countries, comedy news programs have become more widely watched than the regular news programs. Perhaps Mark Twain, the great humorist, summed it up well when he said, against the assault of laughter, nothing can stand. The human race has only one really effective weapon, and that's laughter. So uh, you could pick up your weapon today and against your woes. Have a good laugh. It will do you good. Shining Love's Light. You're listening to Nightlight. Gosh, Peter, I'd totally forgotten about that show that we did together way, maybe 15 years ago in that remote village. But that's amazing. It shows what an effect something can have on somebody and start them off, in your case, on a whole career of clown comedy, mime, everything that you're doing to reach out to people. Now, tell us about your company. I think it's called Elixir Mime. Uh, Elixir Mime. Why Elixir Mime? Yeah, no, we chose the name Elixir. I don't know if you're familiar with it. Um, There was a study by Joseph Campbell made. You know, he was an anthropologist. He studied all the stories in the world, all the different folk stories and so forth. Um, He was a teacher for uh, George Lucas, you know, from Star Wars. Really? He found that there was a commonality in all the stories and what he called the hero's journey, which is basically your protagonist... It was a lot like the story of Jesus, actually, Hmm. where he's in his normal world, his comfortable world. He's called to go out on a mission 
like Jesus was a, he was born into a carpenter's family, mm-hmm. and he's called to go on a mission, like the temptation in the wilderness. He goes through different steps and challenges, and he achieves his goal, uh-huh. and now he wants to come back home, and then oftentimes he dies and is resurrected, like, of course, the crucifixion and the resurrection. And then he comes home with a new understanding, and this new understanding is called the elixir, uh-huh. Or elixir is from mythology, and it means something that can change base metals to gold, can heal wounds, can can give life, and so on. So we hope that our stories can give life to people and restore any wounds that they might have. The light is always on with Nightlight. Peter, let's get back to what you said earlier about Jesus' parables and stories being one-third of his recorded words in the Bible. How did Jesus use parables and stories to get his message across? Well, they're very interesting. You know, I think that there's a real future. Talk about, like, how can this idea be developed? And I'd like to do more of the parables um, they're, because they're really quite amazing. They're very short, very compact. Um, you can, add, you can, of course, flesh them out and add some details and so on. But they're very powerful. And it's interesting that a lot of them were not necessarily, you wouldn't s- seem on the outside to be religious, right. so to speak. Um, or they appealed to all cultures and mm-hmm. all people. And, mm-hmm. of course, the people that were living there, farmers, you know, he talked about seeds. He talked about, you know, lost sheep and so on. Right. For example, one of the classics is the prodigal son. Right. How many people have lived that story? Right. So this is really one of the things that I'd like to develop in our pantomime workshops and to get people telling the stories of Jesus. You know, sometimes we try to do the whole story from Genesis to Revelations, you know, but um, Jesus took one aspect of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is like a man who goes look for a pearl or a woman who swept her house and she found the coin that she lost, and she was so happy that she called a party. Let's have a party. Of course, that's fun to act out, get the whole audience <laughs> up there having a party. I think parables and stories that Jesus told um, show us what God is like, what Jesus is like. He's the forgiving Father. He's the precious thing in the field that you can, that you can really value, something really uh, that will bring fruit in your life. Feeling tired? Get inspired with Nightlight. Peter, anything else you'd like to say about writing stories? Well, you know, there's been so much, uh, there's been a lot written about it, you know, different studies and so forth. There's so many things that stories can do for you. It's like somebody walking you by the hand and Mm -hmm. saying, let me show you something. Like, for example, a good example is when I was at the garden tomb um, in Jerusalem, we were walking in the garden, and he was the tour guide. He was telling us, you know, and now over here is the place where Jesus was most likely crucified. Uh-huh. And look, look at the, the, the mountain, and look at how it looks like a skull. And the Bible right. says it's Skull's Hill. Mm-hmm. And look, there's a wine press here. You know, he's always like showing. So a story is like showing people, not telling them. So it's like you're discovering it with 
the storyteller. Wow. And you're discovering this uh, idea, this concept. It's, it's a wonderful way to share ideas or feelings, emotions, mm -hmm. experiences. And I would like to also encourage um, people to get stories from your relatives, your father, your mother, your grandfather, because you don't know how long you have them. Right. But the stories are something that lasts forever. For, right. I'd like to give an example as my grandfather. He was uh, he fought in World War One, and he told the story about the Christmas truce. Maybe you might be familiar with this. It was made into a movie. Yes, yes. Called Merry Christmas or Showing Noel. During the Christmas time, the French, the English, and the Germans all started singing uh, Silent Nights because they all knew the song in their own language. And this song brought a bond, and they came out of the trenches, stopped fighting, and played soccer or football with each other. They exchanged small gifts that they had, and they stopped fighting. And they even told each other when they, the other side was going to be shelled wow. so they could escape. You know, that, it's a beautiful story of how music and stories can unite people and overcome conflicts. It's quite a pleasant night when listening to Nightlight. Simon, you asked me to read something. It's a little bit difficult where to start, but I thought, well, why don't I pick something that happened most recently, something that's a bit fresh. So this is called Not Alone. Steve, a friend who tends to see the glass half full and the thorns instead of the roses, asked me last week, you're always telling me that your faith helps you. What difference can it make in my life if, as you put it, I know God or not? Yesterday, I didn't know exactly what to tell him. But today, something happened that rocked my world. They gave a clue as to what that something different might be. I was tired from lack of sleep and nodded off on the tram. When my destination arrived, I was startled awake and I hopped off quickly and went to my appointment. It was not until after I came out from my appointment that I realized that I had left my computer on the tram. Yikes! All my work from the last 20 years was on the computer, along with the backup discs that were sitting comfy in the bag with it. And now, all was lost. I felt about five centimeters high, or as the saying goes, so low I had to reach up to scratch a worm's ankle. I began to berate myself for my stupidity, recalling how my wife had warned me to leave the computer at home. The conversation replayed in my head in 3D Technicolor. You better leave the computer at home, you might lose it. Nah, I answered, not me. Then the other voice, the one I call the living word, kicked in. If you ask anything in my name, it will be done for you. If you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move, and it will be done for you. Ask, and it shall be given you. Whatever you ask in faith believing, you shall receive. In my present dilemma, it was easy to know what to ask for. I called my friend Andy and told him my plight, and we prayed together, asking for the speedy return of the computer. He called the tram office and they hadn't found it. I gave it up to the Lord and to take care of it. 
praying, as the Bible says, without stopping, 1 Thessalonians 5.17. It was all I could do anyways. What was the alternative? I could bang my head against the wall, screaming in remorse, or I could go to my scheduled dentist appointment. I opted for the latter. At the dentist, I had a few hours to meditate on the incident. My blunder didn't deserve the Lord answering my prayer, but then I thought about how he died for my mistakes, sins, and shortcomings, gave me eternal life without me having to earn it. That's what grace is all about. The word grace spells out a gift received at Christ's expense. After the dentist, Andy called again and told me that the company was still looking for the computer and had no news for me yet. I boarded the next tram and headed for my next destination that I had planned for the day. I was still thinking and talking to the Lord about what had happened when I spotted a young girl moving up to the driver with a familiar looking bag in her hand. My computer! Ecstatically, I ran up to her and explained what had happened and recovered the computer. I thanked her profusely for finding it and gave her an activated magazine as a token of my appreciation. I began to muse on what a miracle finding my computer was. It had been three hours since I had lost the computer. A different tram drives in either direction every 10 minutes, meaning that there were approximately 36 trams driving to and from that stop during those three hours. What were the chances of me being on the same tram at the right time with my computer? Slim at best. Later I hooked back up with Steve and related what had happened and used it as an example of answered prayer. Okay, but you probably would have gotten your computer back eventually anyways. Maybe, but the point is, I believe I had a friend helping me despite my mistake. Andy told me later when all this was going on that he had the same vision that I had of an angel standing over the computer making sure no one would take it. Having faith in God doesn't mean that we'll always recover lost items or have all of our prayers answered all the time. But we can know that He will be with us and help us to overcome our troubles in some way. The difference faith makes is that we are not alone in our trials and tribulations, but we have a friend to call on. Hebrews 4.16 Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Romans 4.21 After being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able also to perform. Proverbs 17.17 17, A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. Jesus, our big brother, who took our punishment for us. Wow, what a miracle. That's incredible. And God bless you, Peter, for writing it down and for sharing with us one of your very latest inspirations. Inspiring you to draw closer to God. You're listening to Nightlight. Peter, maybe you could talk more about where you get the ideas and inspirations for these stories and skits and dramas from. Well, as I mentioned, um, you know, there's the ask and receive part. But just to elaborate a little bit more, um, it could be likened to a library. 
there's a library in heaven, you could say, heavenly resources. Mm -hmm. And when you, you could ask the librarian, say, I really need this book about this. And you can take that book out from the library. So I believe that there's different, you know, like it says in Hebrews 12, there's a, we have a cloud of witnesses around us. Right. So we can draw on the experiences of others. For example, when I was in Kampala, I was really asking for a story because, you know, you hear about the missionaries of, um, from England and so on, but I was wondering, I said, Lord, is there any missionaries from this area? And uh, the Lord led me to uh, a man called Apollo Kivubulaya, Kivubulaya, hope I'm pronouncing it correctly, and his um, friend, Kahamukasa, and so I started to discover about their lives. I went to the uh, Makareta University, and uh, through some amazing uh, leadings and uh, open doors, I came across a book. It was called The Wonderful Story of Uganda. And wow. there I started to discover how this uh, person who didn't have any training in seminary or anything, how the Lord worked through his life and how he evangelized so many different places, walking in barefoot huh. and uh, everywhere, which is, um, well, quite a feat, <laughs> F-E-A-T. <laughs> and uh, he uh, ministered to the Congolese, uh, to the Pygmies, and all kinds of people. And uh, I'm sure that the le he left a legacy in Uganda today with the many Christians there. Peter, we're kind of running out of time. Anything else whilst you have the microphone and this platform to speak to our listeners? Anything else that you'd like to say? I just, um, As I mentioned, I'd really like to encourage everyone to uh, get those stories from your family, your parents, your grandparents. Treasure those stories. Treasure your own stories, the experiences, how the Lord works in your life. Yes. Uh, write them down and share them with your children. Yes. Never belittle those experiences. Never think, oh, this is uh, not important. No one's going to be, th you know, this is not a big deal. It is a big deal. The Lord's working in your life and these things. And you look back uh, 10 years from now, 15 years from now, when you've written it down, you'll treasure that. Uh -huh. uh, 20 years from now, you're not going to remember it as well. It'll be a hazy, foggy memory. Yes. So write it down when it's fresh. You probably know about the Dead Sea. And yes. the Dead Sea, the water comes into it, but it doesn't go out. So mm -hmm. you, you receive things, and you also have to give it out to keep living. Right. So keep those waters flowing. Uh, receive the stories from heaven. Share them with others. Give, and it'll be given to you.
that was Heart to Heart with Write Your Story, a song very aptly named for our theme tonight, which has been storytelling and meeting Curtis Peter Van Gorder. If you'd like to visit his website, it's elixirmime.com. That's elixirmime.com. And he has a blog, Bringing Home the Elixir. Bringing Home the Elixir. And also, if you visit the website of the Activated Magazine at www.activated.org and search by author, you'll find many articles and inspirationals written by Curtis Peter Van Gorder. Praise the Lord. All right, let's go out with a song. And I thought we'd go out with a song that we recorded in our studios way back 15 years ago when I knew Peter best when he was here with us in Uganda. And this is Richard Kowessa. It's called Spend Time in Africa. It became a number one hit here in Uganda back then. Be nice to hear it again. God bless you. Bye-bye. No one can take that away from us.